But go ahead and take God's Word in your hands and turn to the book of Acts. We're in a series that we've entitled Unfinished. And we've been learning about the early church and how the early church operated, how the Holy Spirit empowered the church to do mighty and great uh, works. And we are learning that the work is left unfinished for us. And so we take up the mantle of that early church and uh, we are to do the very things that we read about in that early church. And we uh, have been given a great model uh, to follow. And as we are following along in this narrative that Luke writes about the uh, time of the early church and how the Holy Spirit um, was moving in their midst, we come to Acts chapter 6. And last week, Pastor Steve got us started in Acts chapter 6 where the church deals with a problem. The widows of a particular group within the church are being neglected. And so the church has to address the temporal needs of the church people in their midst. And we come to now a contrast, and Luke has shown us contrast upon contrast in the book of Acts, where we see the temporal needs of the church being met. And then we move towards Stephen. And we're going to learn that the Christian life isn't just meeting temporal needs, but it also involves our eternity. And at the end of Stephen's speech that we'll learn about next week, we're going to see that he's going to give up his life for the calling of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're given this incredible contrast of the temporal needs of daily bread and the eternal needs that we have of bowing the knee to Jesus Christ and putting our faith, our trust, and our hope in Him. And churches can sometimes get those things mixed up. Sometimes we put the temporal over the eternal. And we're going to be reminded today that as a follower of Jesus Christ, our eyes should be on the prize uh, that calls us heavenward, as the Apostle Paul says. And so we're going to look at the life of a man named Stephen. Now, the book of Acts is broken up really under two headings of two men. The early part of the book of Acts is dedicated to a lot of the life and ministry of the Apostle Peter, the man who walked and talked and spent time with Jesus. And we've seen uh, Peter's leadership and seen his growth uh, from where he was denying Jesus on the night that Jesus was betrayed to standing and preaching, proclaiming numerous times uh, the greatness of the glory of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. The backside of the book of Acts is dedicated to the life and exploits of the Apostle Paul, where we will look, and we'll do this next fall, we'll look at the life and times of Paul and how he reached uh, the entire Roman Empire with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in between those two pillars of the church is a little transition time of Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7 where a third character arises, but he comes in on the scene and he exits as quickly as he enters. His name is Stephen. We were introduced to Stephen last week when we learned that the church picked seven men to take care of the handing out and the distribution of bread to the Hellenistic widows. And Stephen is the first man who is named amongst the group. He's a man who is faithful. He is a man who is trustworthy. And so Stephen, uh, we're going to learn a little bit about him. And what I want you to learn today is that while God uses big names to do big things, sometimes God uses the small things, the insignificant things like the life of Stephen in a short amount of time to change the world. And that's what God's going to do through Stephen's message and through his martyrdom, being the first one to give up his life for the cause of Jesus Christ. It would not just change and transform the church, but it would change world history as we know it. So this week we're going to focus our time on the man Stephen, and then next week we're going to look at his message, which comprises all of chapter 7, and then we're going to look at his martyrdom, which is at the end of chapter 7, 
And we're going to learn from that great example. Let's pick up this man, Stephen, in chapter 6, starting in verse 8. Let's look to our scripture this morning. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and those of Sicilia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against his holy place and the law. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like that of the face of an angel. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we come all from different places and different moments, different circumstances, but we enter equally to the foot of the cross and we come to your word and we seek its direction. Father, I pray that no matter where we've been this week, whether it's been a victorious week of obedience and uh, of your blessing, or if it's been a week of defeat and struggle and and experiencing a lack of hope and, and, and trust in you, Lord, that we would all come ready to receive from your word. Lord, thank you for the example of Stephen. Lord, thank you for his faithfulness. Thank you for his um, desire to honor you and all that he said and did. And Lord, may we emulate him as he imitates you. Father, I pray that we will become like Stephen, just as Stephen was becoming more like you. So Father, give us the strength. We pray the same spirit that empowered Stephen would empower us so that we might serve you in our day and in the places where we come and go so that we may honor you in all that we say and do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Whether it's in the movie field or in the music industry or even in social groups, uh, when award ceremonies take place, usually the last award of the night, whether it's the Emmys or the Oscars or the Grammys um, or the SVs for the sports fanatics out there, the last award of the night is always given to a person who has seemingly personified the sport or the arts or the area of music or the industry that they're involved in. And it's not just a flash-in-the-pan type of involvement, but it's been a lifelong, uh, a life-honoring time of giving oneself to that task, to that industry, to that area of expertise. And someone will usually come up, and great fanfare will come where the award will be given, and there's usually a montage of video and pictures that shows that this person has dedicated their life to this craft, to this calling, to this cause to this art that they have been a part of. And the task is to show that the person has dedicated themselves entirely to the advancement of that work. They call it, in each of the scenarios, the Lifetime Achievement Award. And we've seen over and over again at awards, people after years and career-long endeavors, a person being handed this award. And great fanfare is given. In the spiritual realm, we need to recognize while we cannot do anything for our salvation, God is a giver of lifetime achievement awards. 
We are told that we come to the cross and we receive His grace and mercy and that nothing we do, not a single work that can be accomplished with our hands can ever warrant us salvation. But likewise, we are told in all of Scripture that we are to do good works that God has prepared for us as followers of His. And and when we accomplish those good works, when we toil and strive for the working of God and His kingdom in this world, that we can, as the Apostle Paul says, look forward to a day where we will receive a crown. We are told that on that day, Jesus will utter words that will be sweet songs to our ears, well done, good and faithful servant. As we open up Acts chapter 6, we see a recipient of God's lifetime achievements. Now this isn't the only place, and Stephen isn't the only one who seemingly wins this award. In fact, there's a whole chapter of Scripture that dedicates itself to giving out awards. That's the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And it's not just the ones that we are known of, but there will be myriads upon myriads of people who worked behind the scenes and in the shadows of other bigger and more well-known people that will rise up on that day of judgment and receive the honor that is due them for their faithful endurance in serving our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, Stephen is a lifetime uh, award winner because he gave his life and he gave not only when he was living, but even when he was dying, as we'll learn next week, gave himself wholly to the work of the gospel. And what we want to ask this morning is, how can we be like Stephen? Now, I'm not going to address everything in the text. I'll leave some of it to next week. But today, I want to focus in on this man who wins God's Lifetime Achievement Award. In all of what Luke shares, and Luke gives two chapters dedicated to this man, not a single bad word is said about him. Now think about that. Think about you go to Thanksgiving and you tell all of your family and friends, hey, listen, I made it into the Bible. And your mom says, well, did they tell you about the time you got an F in class? No, they didn't bring that up. How about the time that you TP'd the neighbor's house and got caught by the cops? No, they didn't bring that up. How about the time you messed up in this way and that way? No, they didn't catch that. What Stephen would be able to say is everything they say about me, mom, is all good. Not a bad thing is said. Now, we need to recognize this morning, and it's very important that we recognize this, that Stephen was a man who was a sinner in need of God's grace. And he's just like us, because the Apostle Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Stephen had fallen short of the glory of God. But God had captured his heart. God had grabbed a hold of him, probably on the day of Pentecost, And by the grace of God, won him over to Jesus Christ. And now Stephen had dedicated himself to giving his all for the gospel and the kingdom work. And we should be captured in that same way as well. But in order for us to do it, we need to do a couple things this morning. We need to kind of redo our thinking in some ways and then respond in some ways as we look at this great man. If we desire to have a Lifetime Achievement Award, which is available to all those who call on the name of Christ. Now, Stephen wins this award, and it's kind of apropos that he does, because his name, Stephanos, he's a Greek-named, Greek-raised Jewish individual, probably living outside of Jerusalem. This man, Stephanos, literally his name means crown or victor. 
And so he's living up to his name as a follower of Christ, being one who is, <clears throat> excuse me, crowned with this award. And if we want to be crowned with the same award, I see three things that we need to do as we examine this man's life. First of all, we need to remember an important principle. Even before we look at Acts chapter 6, we need to recognize an important principle when we look at Bible characters. Now, we've studied Bible characters at this church often. We've done the life of Elijah. We've done the life of, uh, most recently, the life of Joseph. And it's easy to look at their lives and ask the question, why in the world would God, in His sacred writings to us, devote so much time and attention to the comings and goings of ordinary people. You look at the sacred writings of other religions in our world, and none of them spend any amount of time in writing what was going on in the life of some of their followers. But the Bible does. The Bible devotes a great amount of time to that. In fact, in the Buddhist faith, uh, more uh, proverbs are given trustworthy statements, if you will. And we've got a book of Proverbs, but it's one of 66 books. Whereas the majority of the Christian writing of our sacred text, the Scriptures, is the comings and goings of people. And we come to a passage where we see the comings and going and the faith of Stephen. And the question is, why would God do that? What is the reason for us to study the characters of Scripture? Notice for a moment, let's turn from the book of Acts for a moment to Romans chapter 15. Just turn for a moment. We'll go right back to the book of Acts. But let's take a moment and see why in the world would we have this as a part of sacred writings. The Apostle Paul tells the church in Rome why these things are written in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. If you're in the book of Acts, just go to your right to the book of Romans Find Romans 15 and verse 4. And we are given a uh, three-pronged reason as to why we have character studies, the, the comings and goings, if you will, of people in our sacred writings. Here's what Paul says. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Write this down. The reason why we study Stephen's life, number one, is not to hinder your walk. It isn't to hinder your walk. What it means is is God's not writing this as if he's got a bunch of children and he's pointing out one of the kids at the Thanksgiving table and gushing over them so that you feel like a jerk. That's not why he's doing it. And some of you read this and say, man, Stephen's really got it going for him and I'm nothing. I'm not doing anything good. If I was really honest with everybody, my week really, really stunk. I did not do a good job of following Jesus Christ. And now we got the golden child, Stephen, and he's doing it right. God has not written this to hinder you in your walk. So it's not to hinder, but notice, write this down. It is to help you. This is written for your and my instruction. Now, why would he do this? Because he recognized something that I've come to know. How many of you have ever have put together furniture from Ikea? Show of hands. How many of you have had difficulty putting together furniture from Ikea? It's in a different language. It makes no sense. 
It says it's an instruction. It says that it's going to, by if you follow these directions, when you get to step 358, that little cabinet that, that you saw in the showroom is going to be sitting in your living room. The problem is in the Bedal family, it never does. And the reason why is the instructions are so hard to follow. I believe God in His grace knew that holiness and obedience and godliness would be difficult things for us in our sin to grasp. So instead of giving us just a long list of instructions, along with the instructions, in essence, He gave us YouTube videos of people's lives trying to figure it out. And so here we have Stephen figuring it out, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and doing it well. Now the Bible is very honest with us, and it shows us people that do it really, really well, and it shows us people who do it really, really poorly. And so it's not there to hinder us, but to help us through the fact of of instruction, showing us how it's done, so that we might have hope. Not to hinder, but to help, so we might have hope. Hope in what? Hope that you and I can do what Stephen did. Hope to believe that the same Holy Spirit that lived in Stephen lives inside me today. Hope that the very things that Stephen did in the first century are available for me to do, and that is change people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not to hinder us, but to help us and give us hope. Now, our response to a character study is critical. Write that down. Go back to the book of Acts. So enter... Stephen. And as quickly as Stephen enters the stage, he's going to step off the stage. His time in the show is very, very short. He had, as the baseball people say, he had a cup of coffee at the dance. That was it. Very short, not very long term. But what he does in that short amount of time takes our breath away. And what we see is a guy that the Bible has nothing but gushing things to say about Stephen. He is great. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. He serves widows well. He's affirmed by the congregation. He's out preaching. He's out making uh, people well and doing signs and wonders. He's able to stand before his old buddies in the synagogue and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good, 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 good. Stephen does everything well. And if you humanly would read that as I do, your human response should be, Are you kidding me? I mean, he can't be real. All good? No bad? When I read Acts chapter 6, verses uh, 1 through 15, when I look at Stephen, if I allow my human uh, nature to take over, my heart becomes very, very jealous and angry. How did he do it? I had this gagging response when I was a kid when a car would drive by and it would have this on its bumper sticker. Proud parent of an honor roll student. My 1.3 GPA, they didn't have a bumper sticker for that. And so I would see that and I know my mom would see and say, I just wish Tim would do better in school and we could have a wonderful bumper sticker and life would be good and all of that. Okay? And so one year I found a bumper sticker that fit my persona a little better. And I bought it for my parents at Christmas. All right. And some of us today have that response with regards to characters in the Bible when we read or study them. 
what we inevitably do is say, I can't do it, so I'm just going to beat them up. I'm going to find things to critique about them. I'm going to make what they did smaller and smaller. There are three responses I want you to see this morning on how we approach the life of Stephen. Number one is complacency. Write that down somewhere in your outline. We, we respond to all that we're going to learn about Stephen, and we're complacent. Stephen was living during the first century where miracles were happening, signs and wonders. I'm not doing signs and wonders. And so therefore, God was giving Stephen something he wasn't giving me. Therefore, I shouldn't even try to do what Stephen's doing. So I'm not even going to try. And so I'm just going to close my Bible, put my note sheet away, and I'm going to listen because this sermon isn't for me because Stephen had opportunities and things available to him that I don't. So therefore, I'm going to keep living my comfortable, uh, if you will, run-of-the-mill Christian life. I'm not going to try to do what Stephen's doing. Complacency fits in. The second thing is that I already told you about is we become critical. We criticize we criticize that, man, they didn't really get all of Stephen. If they filmed Stephen his whole week, they would have seen Stephen struggles with the same things I do. And so Stephen, sure, it is nice that Luke only talked about the good stuff of Stephen, not the real-life stuff of Stephen. And some of us are criticizing right now. Still others of us are saying, no, I want to hear what Stephen's life is all about. I'm here. I want to be obedient. And so we hear what's preached about Stephen and we're like, I want some of that. I want to live like that. And we get up tomorrow and we're excited. We're pumped up about the faith. I want to do the things of Stephen. And then we walk into our schools or we walk into our office places and we begin to cower in fear. And what looked good theoretically on paper, now the rubber meets the road and we've got our, our fellow employees next to us we got that guy that we've seen mock Christianity or that student who has, has taken away any nature of, of, of uh, popularity a student has because they're a follower of Jesus Christ in the past. And, and you say, you know what? I like on paper what Stephen did, but I don't think I can do it. It's too scary. But what the Bible tells us is, is that those are not good responses to studying the characters of Scripture. The reason why God, by His Holy Spirit, inspired Luke to write about Stephen was not to cause us to criticize, not cause us to be complacent, not cause us to cower in fear, but He's using it as a challenge for us to rise to the challenge. He wants us to rise to the challenge. And he wants us to look at our lives and say, in what ways can I start emulating Stephen as Stephen was emulating Christ for my good and the good and glory of the kingdom of God? How do I get there? Well, to do so, once we've understood how we are to approach character studies, we have to look at the text and we have to look and we have to ask the question, does my life resemble the life of this amazing person, this influential person, Stephen. So let's learn about Stephen from our text. Who is this guy? Well, we know very little about who he is. In fact, before Acts chapter 6, we've heard nothing about him. We know nothing of his upbringing. We know nothing of his mom and dad. We know nothing of his hometown. We know nothing of his siblings. We don't know if he was married or not. We know nothing. All we know is he's a Hellenistic Jew who probably, because uh, he wasn't one of the 12 apostles, he's not mentioned as any of the 120, he's probably a convert of Christianity to Christianity on the day of Pentecost. 
So he's one of those Jews that has shown up for that harvest festival. And Peter and the disciples have that great commotion that takes place where the rushing sound of the rushing wind uh, comes in the upper room. They're, they're brought out into the streets of Jerusalem and they begin to speak in tongues of many languages. And no doubt, Stephen is hearing the gospel in the language of his upbringing. And he's now been set apart by the kingdom of God as a convert of Jesus Christ. And for one year, that's the distance of time between Acts 2 and Acts 6, one year of time, he has devoted himself to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of prayer, to prayer, and to fellowship. And when one does that, when they devote themselves to godly and biblical teaching, to godly and biblical fellowship, to godly and biblical prayer and service, God is going to take you and use you to advance his kingdom. And that's exactly what he does with Stephen. Stephen is a man who's new to the faith, who's growing in the faith, and now he has the opportunity to use his gifts. So at some point, a group of people saw Stephen in that first year of ministry where he had a heart for people, where he was trustworthy and faithful, that the whole assembly of the Hellenistic Jews get together when talking with the 12 disciples and where they're told to choose amongst them seven men of godly character, Stephen is the first one they name. He's a cut above. He's doing it right. Is he perfect? Absolutely not. Does he have sin? You betcha. But he is being faithful and trustworthy because he's been changed by the same gospel that has changed and is changing us. So what does this man, Stephen, do for us? Well, number one, he teaches us what it is to walk like a Christian, not walk like an Egyptian for those that are my age, but to walk like a Christian. In this short little passage, we are taught what it means to be a follower of Christ. And I'm, I'm struck by the idea that when Luke writes about Stephen, by writing about what Stephen does, it becomes a textbook for how we ought to live. Which is a question for me as a follower of Jesus Christ. If someone was to put pen to paper of my life, would people be able to use that as a textbook of what it means to follow Jesus or not? And I'm not sure. And so Stephen is this wonderful example of what it means to walk like a Christian. Well, what is it to walk like a Christian? Notice, first of all, a Christian is controlled by the right person. We are told that he is a man who is filled with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 5, he's filled with the Spirit. He's controlled by the right person. The Holy Spirit is indwelling him and, and controlling him. And that control is seen in a couple ways. First of all, in verse 8, it says that he was full of grace and power. Let's start with that word full for a moment. Full means overflowing. It means not only filled to the brim, but overflowing, spilling over the cup that is the vessel that's holding that. It's spilling over and splashing onto the area around it. To be a spirit-filled believer is one who is so controlled and so filled with that spirit that their love and their ministry and their life for Christ is not only impacting them, but it's spilling over the top and impacting the lives of those around him. And so Stephen had a contagious nature to him.
because he was so filled by the work of Christ in his life that other people were impacted just by mere involvement with him, engagement with him. Now, this filling was seen in two ways. First of all, it says full of grace. Probably better rendered, maybe, uh, is that he was gracious. He was full of graciousness. This speaks of a demeanor where he had a countenance to him that people just loved being around the guy. Now, we could say that this is just strictly his personality. Quite frankly, there are people in our congregation that make me sick at times. They're just happy all the time, smiling and filled with the joy of the Lord. And, and they say, isn't the joy of the Lord our strength? And I say, yes. Okay? And some of you are like me, got some rough edges to us. And at times we can be a little more curmudgeon-y. And, and is this what Stephen is, just a, got a great personality? No, I think he's a guy who was so enchanted by the gospel of Jesus Christ in his life that he had been filled with inexpressible joy. Which begs the question this morning, as we go to work and school tomorrow, will our bosses, will our teachers, will our fellow employees or students say that we're filled with joy we're filled with joy that it overflows that it impacts how we interact with one another it impacts how we talk with one another how we address one another how we speak of one another how we love one another are we filled with that kind of joy Stephen was and we ought to resemble that as well number two it tells us that he was filled with not only graciousness but also power dunamis dynamite power and yes that power enabled them to do things that probably in our day and age we probably won't be able to see all too often he was doing mighty works and and signs amongst the people the text says and maybe we won't have uh, miracles happen around us, but I can assure you that if miracles were happening in Stephen's life and ministry, so were other things. So were reaching out and ministering to people in even less than miraculous ways. And maybe that's what God's calling us to. Do we enter into our day asking God, God, do a work in me amongst people that people might look and see not me, but Jesus. Remember, at the end of the text, people are going to look at Stephen and they're going to say, he's got a face of an angel. There's something happening in Stephen's life that is so amazingly contagious and so transforming that it changes his not only his demeanor, but how he looks. He had walked and spent time with Jesus through the Holy Spirit that his whole demeanor had changed and that should be true of us as well he was controlled notice we'll move quickly he's confident we're going to get into this more in his message but just for the sake of biography it says that he had done work amongst the people verse 9 then some who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen as it was called the Cyrenians Alexandrians Sicilians and the Asians of the day rose up and disputed with Stephen and so what, what many scholars believe is that Stephen is a part of this group of people. This was his old temple. These are his old homies. These are his old associates and friends. And so he has come back. He's been changed by the day of Pentecost. Spent a year learning what it is about the gospel of Jesus Christ that has changed him. 
And now he goes and he preaches to his friends and family, by far the most difficult people to evangelize. And he goes and he does it. And their response is they dispute him. They rise up, which means a picture of defensiveness, and they oppose him by disputing. Literally, that word is they debate him. They're not yelling and screaming, but there's this ongoing dialogue that takes place where they're going point-counterpoint to the claims of Christ as being the Messiah. We don't do this really well, this debate. A recent study was done just this last week that 75% of people were scared to death that politics were going to make it to the, um, to the uh, Thanksgiving table this last Thursday. And that was their biggest fear was that politics why because we don't debate well we can't have a dialogue and talk about serious things with one another because we are too busy yelling and screaming and demonizing one another what luke says takes place is an orderly discussion and debate about the things of christ i think this is a great way for us to talk about the claims of Christ with people who don't agree. Allow them to ask questions. Allow them to challenge what we believe. Allow them to say, yeah, but what about this? And then we respond with graciousness and truth for the reason we have the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Stephen does it. He was a confident man. He is standing against a group of people, one on 20, and he's doing so. Now you say again, I can't do that. Well, some of us probably need to be asking for a little more confidence than what we have now. Notice the next thing. He is the conduit of God's grace, and we are to be that as well. Notice that he does all these signs and wonders, the text says, among the people. Now, Stephen has shown and proven his ability to serve the church well, taking care of the orphans and widows, right? He's ministered to those widows in Acts chapter 6. And he's done that well. Now, seemingly, he's moved on from that serving and waiting of tables and gone on to the preaching and the ministry of the Word as the apostles had. And I want you to notice that Stephen's best work, and this is really important for us, Stephen's best work as a Christian doesn't happen in the church, but it happens out in the world. Can I tell you that if we are a church that does its best work on Sunday, then we're really not living out what it means to be the church. That what happens here on Sunday should be a springboard to what we are going to do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. That the people in our world who don't see us teaching Sunday school classes or small groups or leading worship should have an idea that what we're doing on Sunday is the same thing we're doing on Monday through Friday that they see. Some of us are doing our best work in the church and we are not doing what Stephen did. We're not doing what the disciples did and that is let the church leave the building so it can actually be the church amongst the people. We need to be doing our best work as followers of Jesus Christ, not just in the church, but in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces. He was the conduit of God's grace to those who needed it most. And that's what we're called to be. Finally, he's committed. I'll take two seconds on this. He is so committed that he's willing to give up his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll learn that next week. He's willing to die 
for his faith. Which then just begs a precursing question that you and I need to ask is, how much are we willing to give up for the gospel? Stephen gave up his life. Are we willing to give up some of our popularity? Are we willing to take on uh, the banter of some mocking jokes our way? Are we willing to maybe miss out on a promotion? Or maybe lose our job? Are we willing to be imprisoned for the gospel? Are we willing to be beaten for the gospel? Are we willing to lose our life for the gospel? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I think there's a good chance that none of us are going to be martyred for the faith this week. But that doesn't mean that we sit in the shadows and then just lurk in those shadows, never doing what God has called us to. Because we know we're not going to be martyred for the faith, should it not give us more confidence and more commitment to serve and honor Christ with everything we say and do this week? Stephen was willing to lose his life. And we struggle to give up a mere possession or a mere period of time because we think it will cost us too much. Stephen had it right. He was committed. He walked like a Christian. Now notice the second thing he does, and we'll again, we'll kind of fast forward to next week. But a problem rises. And he's challenged by these men. And he's challenged because he's standing for Christ. And Stephen teaches us how to witness when challenged. How to witness when people come against us. And we're going to see this again next week. And I don't want to move too much into next week and preach next week's sermon now. But I want you to see a couple things about it. So write these things down. What do we do when we're challenged for our faith? Number one, we need to be strong. We need to be strong. Don't wilt when people oppose you about Jesus Christ. Have confidence. Have boldness. Now, if you don't have it, do what we learned in Acts chapter 4. Pray for it. Ask the Spirit of God to embolden you so that you are able to stand strong when the time comes. Stephen stands before a group of men who are way more educated than him, who probably know way more about the Bible than he does. He stands strong. Number two, we need to be careful and be aware of the schemes that they will throw at us. We'll get to this next week, but notice again, verse 11, they secretly instigate men to do what? To speak uh, words, untrue words, it says later on, false witnesses in verse 13, who speak against Stephen. Why do they do that? Notice this man who isn't as probably as educated as them and is not as knowledgeable as them. Notice in verse 10, cannot withstand the wisdom and the spirit of which Stephen was speaking. So they're losing the fight. And what does the unbelieving world do when it doesn't have an answer? It goes to nefarious ways to try to bring a good person down. So we'll talk about this next week, but they start creating a list of things that Stephen had done that nullifies the gospel that he's preaching. And some of us have encountered that in our workplaces in school where we've proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ and we've been caught, cut off by people who start to nullify, whether through our own hypocrisy that we've lived out or, or through untrue statements that have said that what we've said is not true, it's not valid. 
We need to beware of schemes that the unbelieving world brings to us that will try to keep us from the gospel. If you want to see schemes take place, watch media when Jesus' name is brought up. Watch how the TV works when Jesus' name is brought up. Now, I'm no conspiracy theorist, but I can't tell you how many times on news networks someone has proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ all to have the color bars come up when that person... Man, they've got crystal clear reception when they're talking all things sex and rock and roll, but when Jesus' name comes up, the feed goes away. It's amazing the schemes that our world has when Jesus' name is being proclaimed. The same types of schemes that were happening in Stephen's life are happening today. Be strong. Beware of their schemes. Stay true to the Scriptures. Chapter 7 is a passage, is a whole chapter dedicated to the start of Christianity in the life of Abraham, moving through the patriarchs, all the way to the announcement of Jesus Christ being the Lord and Savior, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we need to proclaim and preach not our politics, not our opinions, but we need to stay true to the Scripture. Stephen sticks to his script and preaches Christ. And finally, we need to show love to all. Stephen never yells at them. Stephen never uh, uses uh, dishonesty against them. He doesn't speak ill of them. He talks about hard things. He talks about the hardness of their hearts. He talks about their rebellion, true statements, but he does so in love. And he does so in such a way in verse 15 that his countenance, his face is like that of an angel. It takes their breath away. He's a loving man. And this reminds us that no matter the opposition that comes our way, we must always show love to people because love is the way that we are going to speak the truth of God's grace to them so that they may receive it. Stephen lived out the parable or the proverb that says a gentle answer turns away wrath. Now, what Stephen's going to experience is the wrath of people, but it isn't because he causes it. It isn't because he forces their hand. It is because of their rebellion, because of their hard-heartedness that they go about putting him to death. But even in his death, we'll see next week, he shows them love and asks God for their forgiveness. So what do we do with this? We've got this great biography. We're going to learn of his message next week. Let's close with this. If we want to win this Lifetime Achievement Award as Stephen did, We've got to run. We've got to run our own individual path that God has for us. We can't run Stephen's race. You can't run my race. I can't run your race. The Apostle Paul says each of us have a race to run. And all of us are running. Stephen, you and me, we're all running a race that Jesus Christ has set before us. Stephen isn't the victor. Jesus is. And Jesus has led the way, and Jesus has run His race. And we follow in the footsteps of great men and women who have run the race before us. And Stephen is one of them, but be careful. So remember these two principles. When we are imitating biblical characters, do not expect perfection, but seek after progress. 
So you can look and you say, man, Stephen does it all well. Man, I'll never be Stephen. That's okay. Be you. But be a better you today than you were yesterday. Allow the grace of God and the mercy of God and the empowering of the Holy Spirit to bring you to a greater level of maturity today than you were a week ago. Progress is the key. God isn't thinking we're going to be perfect. He demands perfection, but He knows that the process of becoming Christ-like is a process that will take a lifetime. So progress is the key, not perfection. Number two, don't imitate their performance but imitate their practices. So we look and say, well, I'm supposed to be Stephen. I'm supposed to do mighty signs and wonders amongst the people. I'm to go find a group of synagogue members and preach to them. It's going to be really hard in 2017 Fox Valley area to do what Stephen did. We're not to, to do it just as he did it, but what we are to do is to not imitate his performance, but his practice. Am I controlled by the Spirit? Am I confident in the Spirit? Am I a conduit of God's grace? Am I willing to stand strong amidst the troubled times around me as Stephen did? So how do we do that? Let me just close with four very helpful things. What did Stephen do? How did Stephen show his godliness? And how are we to show godliness in the world around us? Number one, serve God and serve others. Stephen in Acts chapter 6 at the beginning is waiting tables and taking care of widows. He's helping people. And he's helping people by serving God, using his gifts. But he also then goes into the synagogues and preaches. And God has called each and every one of us to find ways, unique ways, where we can serve God and we can serve others. And some will be like myself, where it will be up front. People will see it. Others will be behind the scenes where they will serve God in the making of meals and the caring of people, and no one will ever see it. One of the reasons why we do our weekend pictures is because people like me and ministries like me get all the glory. And what we want to do is show you what's going on behind the scenes. God is using people to serve Him and to serve others in small ways that sometimes get overlooked. Where has God uniquely called you to serve Him and others? Do it. Number two, when opportunity arises, seek for greater opportunities. So Stephen was ministering to the widows, and that was kind of the first step. But God had greater opportunities for him. And his greater opportunities was to go back to his, his homeboys and his synagogue friends and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I've got to be honest with you, that's probably a lot harder than it was to hand out meals. And so sometimes when we seek greater opportunities, it's going to mean that we're going to be stretched at times. Write that down. We're going to be stretched at times. God is going to take us out of our comfort zone. i got to imagine when Stephen is preaching, he's out of his elements. i got to imagine when they start yelling and gnashing their teeth at him and grinding and growling at him, that they, that they came to a point that Stephen's like, wait a minute, this is getting out of hand. I'm feeling a little bit nervous about where things are at, but he stayed true to the word because he was willing to be stretched. Some of us need to be stretched out of our comfort zone and into our schools and into our workplaces and into our neighborhoods, not knowing what the result may be, but allowing God to stretch us. And all the while, as Stephen did, seeing our life in Christ, write this down, as being a blessing, not a burden. 
Seeing our life in Christ being a blessing, not a burden. At the end of Stephen's life, you don't see him say that this was not worth it. In fact, this uh, morning I was reading, and I shared this with the first service, uh, David Cassidy, a uh, well-known actor, heartthrob for everybody who was living in the 70s, Partridge Family Guy, artist and actor, a man who had fame, a man who had fortune, at 67 years of age this week died. And his daughter was uh, interviewed in a, in a very reputable uh, magazine, and today the article came out, and the final words of David Cassidy was, what a waste. What a waste. Now, no doubt he was speaking of his life. What a waste of a life. What a waste of all that I've done, all that I've poured into. I'm sure in his day, David Cassidy won all kinds of lifetime achievement awards. What a waste. And in contrast to David Cassidy, this morning we have Stephen who gives his life and even in his death is faithful to God. And never do you hear at any point of Stephen's life does he say, what a waste. What he says is, I see Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. Amen. What type of lifetime achievement are you pursuing this morning? I will tell you, if it's the things of this world and your deathbed, you will articulate words that many have. What a waste. But if you will be like Stephen who imitated Christ, if you will emulate Him, you will be able to stand and you'll be able to forgive people who have harassed you. You'll be able to share the gospel with all who come into your uh, sphere of influence. And you will one day on your deathbed see Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father. And you will with joy enter into your eternity. Not as a waste, but as an awesome blessing to be captured for all of eternity. Which will you choose? I pray that because of Stephen's example that many of us will gravitate to the grace of God which is seen in Jesus Christ and lived out in the life of Stephen that we might experience that lifetime achievement award. That we may hear from God not what a waste, but well done, good and faithful servant. That's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for you.